this faith and finance podcast is underwritten in part by Praxis Mutual Funds. They are a leading faith-based family of mutual funds helping people integrate their finances with their values since 1994. With Praxis, your investments can make a difference for you and the world around you. Learn more at PraxisMutualFunds.com. The Bible tells us that only God sees the future, but it also says we should prepare for it. Does that include churches? Hi, I'm Rob West. The short answer is yes. Churches need to have an emergency fund just like individuals. But what exactly does that look like? I'll talk about that today. Then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, COVID caused a dramatic drop in church attendance and giving. If there was a silver lining, it was that the pandemic removed any doubt that churches need to have cash reserves. But the question remains, how much? The Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability covers that in a great article called Church Cash Reserves, How Much is Enough? And we'll post a link to it in today's notes at faithfi.com. We'll touch on some of the high points today, but let's start with why a church emergency fund is so important. Just like with your personal finances, churches need a cushion to ensure that routine expenses are paid on time. Without it, they run the risk of getting hit with late fees. If there's a mortgage on the property, churches need at least a few months' worth of payments stored up to avoid foreclosure if giving suddenly drops. Why would that happen? Well, just one example. It's a sad fact that churches split, and if half the members leave, a church could soon be facing financial calamity. Also, no one wants to have to take a special offering to replace a worn-out heating or cooling unit, or to have to start at zero if the church decides to launch a new ministry. So there are plenty of reasons why a cash reserve is essential for a church. And the same scriptures that apply to individuals also apply to churches. Proverbs 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Also, Proverbs 21, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. But let's say a church has a healthy cash reserve. The work doesn't stop there. Planning and wise management of that fund are necessary because there will always be pressures within the church about how it should be used. Should some of it go toward paying down debt early, or to be more generous with the staff, or to start new programs? This leads us back to the original question, how much is enough for a church's cash reserve? And just how do they come up with that number? And here, there are two very different schools of thought. One says the church should have almost nothing in reserve, trusting God instead. Uh, The other says a church should have an entire year or more's worth of operating expenses in the bank. The correct answer is likely somewhere in the middle, and each church, with its leadership, has to decide what's best. Now, what guides that process? Well, first, members need to understand that having a cash reserve is simply the faithful administration of God's resources. This honors God, and the church has to make it a priority because it represents Christ in the world. 
Next, it's important to build up the reserve during the good times, especially when the church is growing. It should be a part of the budget process, building a cash reserve as giving increases. A church can do that in two ways. One is to budget next year's revenue at, for example, 90% of this year's, or two, by simply putting a line in the budget for additions to cash reserves. Whichever way a church does this, it's important to separate the reserve money from designated funds. In the event of a revenue shortfall, a church shouldn't be tempted to pay the mortgage with money specifically mandated for something else. And speaking of the mortgage, it's wise to keep mortgage reserves above what the lender might require. Okay, a few more things. It's also important to be specific with cash reserve goals, things like servicing debt, capital replacement, and ministry expansion. Also, for any of this to work, leadership needs to communicate the importance of having cash reserves to the congregation. It doesn't show a lack of faith. It's simply good stewardship. Properly communicating clear, specific goals and the progress made toward them might even inspire more faithful giving. And finally, leadership can challenge the congregation along the way to meeting a church's cash reserve goals. Malachi 3.10 comes to mind. It reads, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. All right, your calls are next. 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Absolutely free. We know you've learned to be suspicious of those words, but really, you can get biblical financial wisdom delivered to your inbox absolutely free. Articles, videos, podcasts, and special offers on biblical resources. More than 50,000 people receive our free weekly wisdom email, and you can too. Create your free faith and finance account. Just visit faithfi.com and click sign up. We are grateful for support from Sound Mind Investing in the Faith and Finance Program. For more than 30 years, they've been helping Christians reach their financial goals with step-by-step guidance for investors at every stage, from those just getting started to those getting ready for retirement. Through scriptural principles and practical suggestions, SMI offers financial wisdom for living well. More information, including the short video webinar on profit and peace of mind, no matter what's happening in the market, is available at soundmindinvesting.org. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West, your host. Have you considered joining our Faith and Finance community as a supporter? We would certainly be grateful. Faith and Finance and FaithFi are listener-supported. We can't do what we do without your generous support. So if you'd consider a one-time or monthly gift, we'd really be grateful. You can give safely and securely on our website, faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com. Just click the Give button. Now, here's the number if you'd like to be on the program. 800-525-7000. Sharon, I understand, is driving in Fort Lauderdale. You be careful, Sharon, but tell me how I can help you. Tomorrow is a funeral service for my sister. She passed away from COVID-19, so I would crave your prayer. Yes, ma'am. A year ago, I left my job. I was planning to return part-time, but that has not happened. So I have 57,000 in my 401k. I do need to know what to do with it. I'm 58 years old. I have a 10 months mortgage and I have a wonderful husband. I do not need that money. 
So I have 35,000 left on my mortgage. I need to know where to put that money. Yeah, I would encourage you to leave it uh, inside a retirement account. So either uh, transfer it to a new 401k if you're planning to go back to work and they allow you to do that, or roll it into an IRA, an individual retirement account. Uh, What is your plan, Sharon, moving forward with regard to work? Are you seeking employment right now with someone else? I am employed full time. I have a wonderful husband, so I don't have a money problem. Okay, great. And do you have a 401k with your current employer? I do. I also have a Roth IRA ongoing okay. now. Yes, so very I good. put that to that IRA or open you, a new one? Yeah, you, you won't be able to do that. What you would have to do is transfer it to a new traditional IRA and then convert it to a Roth, but I wouldn't do that. Uh, you would have to add all of that to your taxable income for this year, which would create a pretty significant tax liability for you. Um, What I would first look at is just for simplicity's sake, whether or not your current 401k would allow you to roll this previous 401k into it. Uh, It would keep everything in one place. So as you're contributing to your new 401k with your current employer, uh, this money would just be added to it and it would create, uh, avoid you having to have a yet another account and you could just roll it into the same investment strategy that you have, um, you know, going on with the new contributions going into that existing 401k. So that would just be a simple call to your plan administrator to say, I have a 401k with a previous employer. I'd like to roll those funds into my existing 401k with you. And if they let you do that, they'll give you the paperwork to get that done. If they're not giving you that option, then that's when I would look at not your Roth IRA, but you'd be opening a traditional IRA, uh, which is a tax-deferred vehicle. It would be a non-taxable event, and then you'd roll the proceeds from the 401k into that new IRA, probably wherever you have that uh, Roth custodied, you could open the uh, traditional there. But I think just for simplicity's sake, I'd probably start by looking at merging it in to your current 401k. Does that make sense? Okay. Sounds good. Thank you All right. So Thank you, Sharon. We appreciate your call today. Uh, let's head to Lando Lakes, Florida. Hi, Shirley. How can I help you? Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Yes, um, I'm 72 years old, and I'm a widow. I've been a widow for six years, and I, I've lived my life in northern Virginia, but I recently moved to the Tampa area, Land of Lakes, because I have a son down here. Um, I I was really on the fence about what what would your advice be to buy rather than rent? Um, I actually bought a small um, villa, and I'm sort of second-guessing myself and saying maybe I should have gotten advice. Well, what is it that's tripping you up? That you're concerned that perhaps you overpaid or something else? Well, I probably pay, did overpay, but I also, in the sense that, that – um, the prices have are elevated now, even sure. in Florida. Yeah. Um, but I did. I made a, a handsome profit on my home in Virginia. So, and I can manage. I do have a mortgage, um, but I can manage it. It's twelve hundred a month. Um, I just it, the house needed a lot of work, and so I'm having renovations in it. And that's. I'm just getting worried about my finances in the future. I guess is is what the bottom line is. And should okay. I continue living in this house or should I look to rent? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I would have to look at kind of what your mortgage payment is and then what you're needing to do to kind of get it to where it's, uh, 
you know, you feel good that it's, you know, livable and, you know, any needed repairs are done and then renovations beyond that. Um, but I like the idea of you owning something as long as you didn't stretch and buy something that really is out of your reach financially, uh, especially given, and we just had this conversation a few moments ago with another caller, you know, rental prices right now are very high. And so for you to get a comparable place as a rental, you're probably going to be spending more every month than even your mortgage, and you don't have any equity to show for it. So, you know, I think you've made a good decision so long as the mortgage payment that you have and the repairs and renovations you're planning to do aren't going to stretch you beyond what you have the ability to pay for. And that's going to ultimately come down to your spending plan, your budget. What are your income sources? Do you have a proper accounting of everything it takes for you to fund your lifestyle on a monthly basis? Um, And with some margin left over, uh, or is this payment kind of pushing you outside of being able to live within your means? And then beyond that, what resources do you have for these renovations? And is that going to eat into, you know, some of your savings that you're going to rely on for the future? So uh, give me a sense of that. Does your budget balance or do you feel like uh, some of these, uh, this decision to buy this place has, has pushed beyond your ability to fund it? Uh, no, no, it's a $1,200 a month mortgage. Um, it does have a $175 a month, $175 a month HOA. Um, it, it is a gated community. Um, but, you know, I, I think my finances are all right. I, I, I think maybe I'm, you know, I just, I'm concerned because I am alone now. I'm a retired yeah. teacher, so I, I don't have a super amount of money coming in. I have a portion of my husband's, re- my deceased husband's retirement coming in, and I'm not in debt. Now, I have one credit card that I use, and I've been using it for the renovations, and I pay it off each month. Okay. All right. So that's kind of where I am. I'm not stretched for money. I just want to be wise. Yeah. Well, I think as long as this uh, fit within your budget, we would typically use the 25% number if if your principal interest taxes and insurance is less than 25% of your, you know, income sources that you have, your take-home pay, um, you know, that as a rule of thumb would say that that number works in terms of balancing your budget. Ultimately, it's going to come down to, you know, the actual income and expenses. But this decision to buy, even in the midst of elevated home prices, especially in Florida, um, I think is still a good one. Uh, if you plan to stay there, it fits within your budget and you're not going to pay, you know, exorbitant rental rates without any ability to build equity and over time actually pay for it so that your uh, mortgage payment goes away. Um, so I, I think you're on the right track, Shirley. It sounds like you've really uh, thought through your finances. You're living modestly and well within your means. So I don't hear any red flags and I think you're making some great choices here and you're really Really right on track. Uh, we appreciate your call today and call us back if you need any further help along the way. This is Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We've got a few lines open if you'd like to join us. 800-525-7000 is the number. 800-525-7000. And we'll be back with more calls in just a moment.
At Faith and Finance, we're on a mission to educate, equip, and connect you and many others with the powerful financial answers found in God's Word. We're working to meet people right where they are through national radio programs, our app, website, and other resources. If you've benefited from this program, would you consider becoming a monthly Faith and Finance patron? Check out all of the benefits of a Faith and Finance patron's membership at faithfi.com and click Give on the homepage. We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at eventideinvestments.com. That's eventideinvestments.com. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We've got a new name, but the phone lines remain the same. 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Let's head to Holland, Michigan next. Steve, thank you for your call today. How can I help you? Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. We're regular listeners. Appreciate your information there. Um, I have kind of a two-stage question. My wife and I are looking at some estate planning. Uh, we are uh, recently retired and uh, do not have a, an up-to-date will or powers of attorney or anything like that. We're looking at getting a uh, revocable living trust set up and uh, wondered what the benefits of that would be uh, and and the cost because we the proposal we have seems uh, fairly pricey, but it is kind of an all-inclusive package. And then the second... Yeah stage uh, to all of that is uh, we have IRAs and um, the uh, attorney is proposing a, uh, a what's called a Medicaid asset protection trust, which would uh, basically protect assets from the um, five-year look back that Medicaid has as far as uh, uh, covering, recovering potential assets and things like that. Um, so I, I'm not sure if that all ties together for you. Is that kind sure. of painted picture? It does, yeah. And, and I'm glad to hear you're addressing these issues because, uh, you know, the uh, getting your estate plan in order, thinking about the decisions that you're going to be making uh, as the wealth transfer process being the last stewardship decision that you'll make is key. And then executing that in an estate plan with the necessary documents is uh, really important. And I concur having a professional do that um, is uh, really the way to go. I wouldn't use a free solution online or anything like that just to make sure everything is up to date and in line with your particular state and appropriately reflects the decisions you and your wife have made. Uh, With regard to the revocable trust, I think ultimately that's something you need to talk through with uh, an estate planning attorney. Um, Some of the benefits at a high level would be that it happens outside of probate, that there can be triggering events both before uh, death, which is not the case with a will. It goes into effect at death. But um, if you're incapacitated, uh, the trustee could make decisions on your behalf based on the trust documents. If you wanted disbursements of your assets to take place in, you know, 
periods following your death based on, again, certain triggering events. If you had a lifelong dependent or minor children, a trust is great in that case as well. Um, it's more, it is anonymous happening outside of the public record. Um, so there are some real benefits, but not everyone needs one. And as you said, it, it's a bit more expensive. So I think you just need to talk through your goals and objectives and decide whether a revocable trust is necessary or would be effective for you. Uh, you would also want to have a will as well, because the trust is only going to take care of things that are retitled in the name of the trust. And so the will would cover everything else. In terms of uh, Medicare, Medicaid lookbacks and Medicaid planning, um, you know, I would obviously take the advice of a legal professional there as well. And uh, an elder care attorney or an estate planning attorney could help you understand the difference between an IRA that's in a, a payout status where uh, you are taking required minimum distributions versus a non-payout status, which may make it exempt or non-exempt from uh, Medicaid uh, asset uh, eligibility. Um, of course, once it's in a payout status, they would look at the income as affecting that as well. And then trusts also um, are considered there. A revocable trust generally considered accountable asset. Irrevocable is generally considered non-countable. But again, there are various types of trusts, and that's where an attorney could really help you think through all of it. So I would uh, just proceed in in the path that you're on, taking care of not only the trust and the will, but those other documents as well, which will be really key in making sure your wishes at the end of life are carried out as well. So we appreciate your call today. Thanks for listening, Steve. Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Annette. How can I help you? Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I am in the process, um, getting ready to refinance my mortgage, but I'm beginning to think that maybe I should pay it off. But if I do pay it off, it's only going to leave me a little bit, you know, very little cash, liquid cash. Um, but of course, I could build that back up again because I'd be putting my mortgage payment, you know, right back into savings. So just wanted to get your thoughts on that because that's what really what I have in the bank right now. That's all the cash that I have. Yeah, I'd be really nervous about you uh, depleting all of your cash. I love the fact that you'd be debt-free, and I want you to take that seriously, but I don't want you to be completely dry of, of emergency reserves. I'd really love for you, Annette, to have three to six months. Now, I realize that you could build it back up because you wouldn't have a mortgage payment, but that interim period, um, you know, I'd rather you not have... Um, you know, depleted your funds that you would otherwise have available. So uh, perhaps, you know, what we could do is kind of a hybrid here where, you know, maybe you start to accelerate the payoff a little bit beyond the monthly payment um, and or, uh, you know, try to take any surplus you have to continue to build your savings so that you could get to a place where you'd at least have a couple of months worth of, um, you know, expenses in emergency reserves, then pay it off and then take that mortgage payment and not find anywhere else to spend that, but just use that to replenish your savings until you get back up to three months expenses. But I don't think now's the time to do it just because it would bring you down so low. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I do have um, some money invested that I could always pull from if I was desperate. Um, I also, I pay off my credit cards every month, so I'm not in debt anywhere else. Um, and I really don't foresee any other expenses coming up. You know, my car, I'm good for three to five years. My AC is okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, if you'd still had a couple of months worth of expenses, um, and now all of a sudden you're 
monthly need is going down because you don't have a mortgage payment, then you know you could plow that right back into savings and bring that back up to six months expenses. Um, you know, in just a few months. And now you're completely debt-free. You've got a fully funded emergency fund, and then you can redirect all of that money into longer-term savings. So I think given your conviction here, Annette, to be debt-free, then I could get on board with this plan. And I think uh, you'd be delighted that you did it. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Uh, I'm glad you called today, Annette. I hope that helps you. But uh, we appreciate your call very, very much. You know, folks, uh, there's nothing like being completely out of debt. We should all make that a goal at the very least by the time we reach that retirement season, if not before. And uh, I'll tell you, I know from talking to so many people who've done it, you will never look back. And that's going to do it for us today. And as we wrap up, I really want you to know how much I appreciate the time you invest with us each week. You're taking time to listen to this program and committing the principles we talk about each time to your financial life. And that lets me know the work we do here is worthwhile. And that wouldn't be possible without the financial support of listeners like you. If you're not yet one of our financial partners, but would like to be, would you visit our website, faithfi.com? That's faithfi.com and click the give button to sign up. We'd certainly be grateful. In the meantime, please tell a friend about us, then make plans to join us again next time, right here on Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.